serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. All right. So, Tina Curry. Tina the Keeper. Yes. So, let's jump into some questions that I'm sure a lot of people are wanting to know. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. I'm not that interesting, but let's see. When did you and Adam first meet? Oh, goodness. Um, I first met Adam when I worked at Ronald McDonald House Charities at a donor event. And actually, he was married at the time. It was um, just a brief introduction and Mm -hmm. didn't really have a conversation with him. And it wasn't until about six months later, um, he had agreed to emcee one of our largest fundraisers. And I had to um, work with him in order to write his communication script for the event. And um, we just had this sort of chemistry in the meeting, and a lot of my coworkers had uh, recognized that immediately. And then that night, um, he friend requested me on Facebook. And then the following evening, I saw him, and I met his daughter, Christina, and we had a deeper conversation, and he had asked me to go out to dinner. And he had said, oh, we'll wait until after the event um, in order for us to go out to dinner. And I said, that was fine. He said, because he didn't want to uh, mix working and personal and um, let's see, it, we were texting back and forth, but it took him forever to actually initiate the date. And um, he used to always say that he was, and I say this in air quotes, busy. And um, we finally went out. It was middle of May, and that'll, that was six years ago. So we embarked on this, this friendship and turned into a relationship with no vested um, outcomes. And we just realized the more that we spent time together, the more fun we had. So that's how it started. Yeah, I definitely remember first seeing you at that event. In Dallas. Y- mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can't believe it's been six years already. Wow, time flies. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that I, know. Is, I know. Yeah, because I think I might have been in Austin more than 10 years now. I keep saying to people, oh, I think it's around 10, but it might actually mm-hmm. be longer at this point. Um, I was only in Austin for a year when I met him. Mm-hmm. So I've only been here for seven years. But I knew who he was. I fully knew who he was because when my boss um, at the Ronald McDonald House Charities told me he was coming to tour the house and she said, oh, he used to be on MTV. And I said, well, who who is it? And and she said, Adam Curry. And I knew immediately because when I was in my teens, I worked for a cable news um, outfit and I remember MTV and I remember seeing him on television. So I knew exactly who he was. Okay, so you do remember the big hair. Oh, for sure. Yes. I think I had the same hairstyle in the 80s, too, that he did. (laughs) Well, there are a few questions that people have asked in No Agenda Social as well. Oh. Like, here's one about Ronald McDonald House. Mm -hmm. The person asks, they've seen the little donation containers everywhere, and have always wondered if those donations truly just go to the Ronald McDonald house? Yes, they do. Uh-huh. And it adds up to quite a bit. So hmm. each each Ronald McDonald house charities is its own separate 501c3. So we have a geographic area. And so within that geographic area, there are the McDonald's, most of them are owner operators, owner operated. And they collect all those donations and it is funneled back to the house. And when I was there, it was, it was over six figures for sure, because all those pennies and quarters added up. And they recently within the last area, how big is the geographic area? 
Well, for the one in Austin, we served Hayes County, Williamson County, um, part of Bryan College Station. It's it's hard to say like mile, you know, miles. Um, but it was it was pretty expansive because there were there was a Ronald McDonald House in San Antonio. There's one in Houston. There's one in Temple. So we just served the surrounding areas and the hospitals in that surrounding area. So it differs based on the house. But um, as I was saying, those coins, they really, really make a difference. And it adds up over six figures for sure. And recently, um, they did the roundup. So it took forever for the McDonald's organization to get that software into the restaurant so people could just round up their their um their total price for their food. And I'm sure that has been amazing for them because it's so easy to do that. Um, so yeah, that all that money definitely goes back to the house for sure. Okay. And then another question is, does Ronald McDonald just provide a free hotel for parents or did they do anything else? Well, what they do, oh, they do a lot of different things. Um, but the, the the most important thing is they provide the free lodging and the free meals and all the things that the families need in order for them to be comfortable while their child is in a hospital. So let's say, for instance, all of a sudden your child gets sick and they get airlifted to a hospital mm -hmm. 45 miles away. Um, the house typically located near the hospital is there to support the family while the child is in the hospital and they give them everything from a room with a computer so if they have to work remotely they can um, they have laundry facilities so they don't have to go back and forth to their house to clean their clothes they have snacks they have volunteers who come in and make breakfast lunch and dinner for them so that alleviates the expense for food because think about it if you have a child in the hospital you're not only incurring those medical expenses but you're incurring your living expenses as well right. so they provide all those services so that the families don't have to think about that and they can focus focus solely on their children. And all this happens because of people who make donations. They, they are completely funded by people who open their hearts and, and want to support these families who have sick children. It's an amazing, amazing organization. And in addition to that, they also have what are called Ronald McDonald family rooms. So these are rooms that are located in the hospital, and it's usually near the NICU, so the neonatal um, intensive care unit, and they're actually they're ex exactly what it sounds like—a family room. And so you you basically walk into this oasis that looks completely different than a hospital waiting room. And there are bedrooms there, and there are snacks and drinks and food and computers, just so that you can escape kind of the blinking, sterile environment of uh, the the NICU and just decompress. And so we have those in um, several hospitals throughout Austin. And then they also help families who have unfortunately lost children. They have a program called the Healing Hearts Program. And it supports family through burial assistance as well as bereavement support. So they do quite a bit. Yeah, that's definitely more than, than what I've heard. It's a pretty amazing organization. When I, when I first um, found the opportunity there, I had no idea what they did. All I saw was that they you could donate at McDonald's. I had absolutely no idea. And they serve millions of families across the world. They're everywhere. Millions and millions of families because children get sick or get in accidents every day. And you were there for how long? I was there for almost six years, almost six years. And I still do work for them occasionally. Um, they will forever be my um, forever charity. And I, I actually wrote their gratitude report last year for them. So I do help them out occasionally. 
Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's a really cool organization. I would, I would definitely recommend people check them out for sure. Yeah. Hopefully people won't need to use them. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I met so many wonderful families there and the gratitude that they have for having this service there. Because they're, when your child is sick, you can't think of anything else other than, oh my gosh, I want my, my, my child to get better. And to have the support service is amazing. So I, I have interviewed and I have filmed so many different families to tell the, their stories, to get people to support the house. And it's just the gratitude is just it's amazing, but it's really, it's down to the people who make the donations that make that happen. People give to people and um, the, the people who have supported uh, Ronald McDonald House Charities, they're just amazing, amazing. So were you, now you, before you moved to Austin, you moved here from Florida, right? Yeah, I lived in Florida, Florida for 15 years. And where in Florida? I lived in Boca Raton. Boca, I've never been to Boca. I've mostly yeah. been to the Miami area and up the no north on the Atlantic coast. What's Boca like? Well, did you ever watch Seinfeld? Because they used to make jokes all the time that all the old people moved to Boca. <laughs> That's about the only impression of Boca that I uh, yeah. have. So do you want to correct that? Yeah, there's a lot of families out there. A lot. Um, it, it It is like living in a place where you're on a perpetual vacation because we are five five minutes from the ocean or excuse mm -hmm. me five miles from the ocean and it is it is beautiful almost all the time and it was lovely i raised both of my daughters there and had um we had a really nice environment and a nice community and the only thing we would complain about is in november you would see all the trucks arriving with the cars from new york and it was all of the retired people coming to spend from November to May in, in Boca. And when that happened, you knew all the restaurants would be flooded, all the stores would be flooded. And so that was the big joke, is that we hated seeing those car trailers with all the New York uh, license plates. So they were shipping the cars down and then flying down? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, exactly. And they would stay. They had, they had homes there for the winter. Mm -hmm. And so they would stay for six months because they were escaping the cold. But it clogged everything. So, yeah, it was just kind of what we had to deal with. But it was it was a really nice environment. And that's how I actually got into nonprofit um, communications as I started working for um, a really small nonprofit organization that helped low income children. And I worked there for several years. And then I went and worked for a charitable foundation that actually set up um, a charitable funds for people in order to make donations to different nonprofits. And yeah. what were you doing before the charitable work? Oh goodness. Well, I was I was a stay-at-home mom for many years, but prior to that, I was in financial marketing. I actually worked at a bank in Chicago and I glamorized I, I like to say this I glamorized checking accounts at the time. So, but I la I actually launched mutual funds and a marketing campaign. I launched credit cards in a marketing campaign and that's really where I got most I got all my experience in marketing and communications was in the financial industry. Got it. It was kind of boring. Now, kind of boring. You grew but up in Chicago, right? Uh, in Northwest Indiana, yeah, but I actually lived in the city for several years. So you grew up in Northwest Indiana. So were you driving down to Chicago as a teenager? Not as a teenager, no, but I started working for the bank when I was 20. So okay. I worked at the cable news place before, and then I started working at the bank when I was 20. And they actually um, put me through school. They actually paid for my, my education. I got my degree while I worked full time, and I went to DePaul University. And so they had complete tuition re uh, well, that's a reimbursement. Good deal. 
and I wouldn't have done it. I mean, they were my biggest cheerleaders um, and encouraged me to go back to school. And I, I didn't come from a family that was college educated, so they didn't really necessarily uh, encourage me to do that. But once I got into that environment, it was it was great. It was great. And I would have never done it. And so I got my degree when I was 29. Now, when you were in Chicago or you were working at the bank, were you living in Chicago as well at that point then? Yeah, I was living in uh-huh. Chicago. I was having a lot of fun. I was single and living in the city. <laughs> and Chicago is a fun city. I, I've been there a lot of times when I was young. There's a lot of activity there. There's a lot to do. But it also is a city that gets freaking cold in the winter with the wind oh, yeah. coming off the lake or even in the fall for that matter. I remember that. Yeah. You adjust, though. You adjust. You just buy the appropriate outerwear and you just deal with it, you know, because nothing stops. Like here in Austin, when it snowed and the whole city just shut down, that people in Chicago would laugh at the snow that happened in in uh, Austin because you just you just trudge through it. You just you deal with it. The rest of my family lives all still up north and everybody was literally laughing. When we had yeah. the snow. They weren't laughing at the power <laughs> outage, but they were laughing at the snow. Yeah, um, yeah, we're not we're not equipped here, but but mm-hmm. I will say, like for myself, when I moved south, when I moved to Texas years and years ago, I really kind of lost that ignoring the cold and dealing with the cold kind of feeling. Like I actually mm-hmm. feel the cold when it hits down to the fifties now, mm. and uh, so I've acclimated to the warmth. Have Have you noticed that, especially having lived in Florida for a long time? I haven't because I run really warm now. The older I get, the warmer I get. So for me to go out when it's 50 degrees, I typically don't have a coat on. But what's interesting is Adam gets super cold when it's 50 degrees. So I think the same thing has happened to him that's happened to you. Yeah, he just he can't tolerate the cold at all. Where for me, it's kind of because I run so warm Mm -hmm. that it's actually a relief for me. I have been to the Seattle area where my parents live. My kind of running joke, not really a joke with them, is I will only visit in August because every other month is too freaking cold. Oh. <laughs> so I've, I've gotten pretty bad in terms of the uh, being around cold places. Although I have mm-hmm. to say, when the power was out for three days here, maybe it was the adrenaline pumping through the system, but I really didn't feel all that cold even though it dropped down to 46 degrees inside the house oh my gosh oh Oh. yeah it didn't it didn't get that cold in our house and it was not it was not unbearable to me for me at all at all well you guys were burning a fireplace the whole time too yeah we had our yeah we had our gas fireplace going so we were we're comfortable it wasn't bad the the bedroom was was cold because it has two outer walls Mm-hmm. But the main portion of the house was we, we were fine. We were we were cooking by candlelight, and we had our gas stove, and we we fared well. We didn't have any problems with our with our water, so we didn't lose water. We didn't break any no pipes burst or anything like that. So we we got lucky because well, a lot of our neighbors had huge issues. Yeah, I remember that some of your neighbors had their heaters break. Yeah, yeah. And it took weeks for them to get it fixed. Mm. So I don't know what they I don't know what they did. So we we fared really well. But it's just interesting to see to me going back to with nobody's driving, nobody's out on the roads. And in Chicago, I mean, I remember walking through two feet of snow to get to from the train to my job. I mean, it was just you just prepared for it and you you did it. 
just plow on through. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've exactly. always said that I think it's a lot better for children to grow up in the north because you get to see all four seasons. You you get a better appreciation for nature, and you mm-hmm. get to build snow forts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Where <laughs> I I can't imagine a kid growing up in Austin or Florida that doesn't get exposed to any of that. I don't think mm-hmm. they've got a complete experience, complete mm-hmm. childhood at that point. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I agree. I agree. I don't totally agree. Yeah, but yeah, Chicago was fun. I I I have a daughter who's up there now. She's going to be moving to Maine next month but she's been in chicago for a year um and she she didn't get to experience the city like i did um because of um the coronavirus and everything being locked down yeah but she realized that she's not an urban she's not an urban girl where i always felt like i was an urban girl i loved the energy of the city i loved meeting people i loved um walking around and just experiencing different things where she's she's much more of a nature girl so she's gonna maine is very fitting for her to be there so one in New York, one in Maine. Yeah, two ends of the spectrum. Wow. So I have one who's so connected to nature, the one who's moving to Maine, and then I have my urban girl in the city who is just thriving and loving it. That's so, great. Two ends of the spectrum, for sure, yeah. But you know, it adds a lot of, a lot of flavor and color into my world, so I appreciate it. But b- both on the East Coast, though, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 oh. for sure. So, And I'm, I'm sure that if... if uh, if I want to see them, I'm going to have to make the trek out there. And I <laughs> doubt that they're going to come to Austin. <laughs> Maybe in the middle of winter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Get away know. from the snow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Having grown up in Indiana and, and near Chicago, have you noticed the way that I have just how much nicer Midwesterners are? Oh, for sure. <laughs> And I hear it all the time. So I work part-time at a retail store and people people recognize my accent. Like I don't realize that I have an accent, but they recognize it, I guess, especially when I say Chicago. Um, and they immediately, Midwesterners gravitate toward Midwesterners. And we're just nice people. We're nice people. Um, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially having lived... Especially having lived in Boca Raton, and um, and a lot of my friends um, ha- moved from New York or lived in New York, and so I have a lot of really good friends. But the difference in terms of the approach and personality is, yeah, it's it's completely different. Yeah, so Midwestern people are nice. I mean, and people who meet my sisters, my sisters come and visit me all the time. I mean, they they love them because they're, they're funny and they're uh, they're just outgoing and they're warm and yeah. So I I wonder if that type of persona, at least in Minnesota, is going to go away because oh. clearly Minnesota's reputation lately is not very friendly. I know. It's really sad. Where in Minnesota did you live? I grew up in the third ring suburbs. So we were on, on the border of cow fields half a mile from where I grew up. But we were in the mm-hmm. house. We were in new developments out, out there. And then when I moved away from uh, my parents' house, I wanted to be in the city, of course, so I moved into Minneapolis. And then I lived there, I guess, about four or five years, and then I realized the suburbs were better. I moved even further out than my parents in the suburbs after that. So I grew up in Bloomington and then went to Minneapolis proper and then out to a place called Eden Prairie. Mm. I don't know how much of a movie nerd you are, but... 
the Eden Prairie Mall is the mall that was used in Mallrats. That's where they shot mm-hmm. it. So oh. if you've seen that movie, <laughs> you've seen the mall that I basically spent most of my, you know, teenage years in. They hmm. changed the store names, obviously, but yeah, that yeah. was really funny seeing that mall in the movie because, yeah. like, oh my god, this is totally that place. You know, with with what's happening up there, it's it's hard for me to dis- to discern exactly where a lot of this is happening because they're doing this broad brushstroke. Yeah. of Minneapolis, you know, and, and it could be confined to a small area. I don't know that it's the whole city. It's hard for me to discern, you know, how widespread the issues are there. I have a, a friend who I worked with at the house and her family lives in Portland. And I had brought up like, oh my gosh, Portland is, is a mess out there. And mm-hmm. she said, oh, it's only, it's only confined to a couple um, uh, blocks. She said, it's not throughout the whole city. It's just a certain area. And so that's what I think about when I think about when I see all the news reports happening up in Minneapolis, like they're just brought, like I said, it's a broad yeah. brushstroke. It's hard for me to determine how widespread this it's really is. definitely more widespread in Minneapolis than Portland, though. In Minneapolis, yeah. so Brooklyn Center, where a lot of this stuff, I guess the writing's been concentrated, is a first-ranked suburb, so it's kind of a poorer neighborhood. Mm-hmm. More minorities live there. Minneapolis proper, I think, was where the rest uh, went down. That was off Chicago, I believe, and Chicago, that whole street... It's kind of been known for drugs and prostitution. Oh. I should say 20 years ago, <laughs> as of 20 years ago, it was very much a crappy neighborhood. Maybe it's been revitalized mm. since, but that was the case. But having said that, I have spoken to some friends that still live up there. And when they had protests in the, the weeks following, so not on the day or the day after, but on the weeks following, they, those protests, there were protests in a lot of suburbs. Really? Like there were local people organizing to just walk around their neighborhoods, their suburbs, and then yell at uh, anybody who's white, basically. Oh, wow. I know, it, my, in fact, my ex-wife called me up and uh, she said, hey, you know how I, I said that I didn't want to take any guns when we got divorced? Yeah, so I need oh. to buy a gun. <laughs> what should I get? I'm all for that, for sure. Uh-huh. I'm all for that. So yeah. I'm like, hey, I got a deal. I'll sell you your old gun. <laughs> so I did. And she actually bought her old gun, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, a lot of people are doing that now. Yeah. A lot. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, it's and, and the, not only did she buy it, but she went and got her concealed carry almost immediately right after. Good so I'm for like, her. You know, you could have done all this when we were still married. Yeah. So, well, at least no. she has you as a resource to get that done. Yeah. So well, we got to appreciate kinda, that. Uh, we parted reasonably amicably. So it, it's certainly not the first time that she's uh, reached out to me, but that was pretty funny when she was like, that's her first concern is, oh, you want to get a gun? And because guns are so hard to get right now. Yeah. As, as is ammunition too, right? Yes. Ammo yeah. is extremely mm-hmm. hard to get and the prices mm-hmm. have just been jacked up like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we, um, when everything started, we went and got gun training because I really needed formalized gun training so and I'd like to do it again just I just don't want to be I don't want to be caught in a situation where my adrenaline is so spiked that I get so nervous that I'm not able to follow through so but I I definitely have a gun in my car so I just don't want to be I don't want to shoot myself basically right well just remember (laughs) anytime you pull a gun out you got to yell taser 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 (laughs) yeah 
Yes, exactly. Because well, that'll scare be the to... shit out of everybody. No kidding. No kidding. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen when this verdict comes down. I mean, I just, I feel for the people out there um, in Minneapolis. I just, I mean, obviously yeah. something's going to occur and I just hope that people are, people stay safe. So my take on Minneapolis having lived there, but then moved away, is that Minneapolis in a lot of ways, well, all of Minnesota, but in predominantly the Twin City area, is very similar to Norway or Sweden in that these are people that when I was there, it was like 99% white. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. extremely Norwegian, Swedish, Scandinavian, mm-hmm. not a whole lot of other ethnicities. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. so these people were always very wanting to be helpful and they care about any kind of anybody that's downtrodden. They were outly very welcoming to all kinds of communities. And I remember when I lived there, there was a big wave of the Hmong population moved to Minnesota. The Hmongs were, I guess, from the part of Vietnam that was supporting the U.S. against the Mm -hmm. communists. And Hmm. so there was a huge community that all moved to Minnesota. It was a big enough community that they weren't simply referred to as Vietnamese, but they were referred to as Hmong, Mm. which is not a country. It was just a hmm. re- region. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I've right? never heard of Hmong. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the 90s, I guess, after the U.S. got into Somalia, there were Somalis that were helping the U.S. on whatever side, I don't even know what the hell side the U.S. was on, but whatever side the U.S. was on, there were locals that were on that side. When the U.S. left, they started taking, they're not technically immigrants, they're, what's the other word for it? Refugees. They were taking mm-hmm. refugees from Somalia. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is the state basically like grants money for aid for a certain population of refugees coming in, something like that. Because all of a sudden, Minnesota became like ground zero for a whole bunch of Somalis moving in. Well, that's how Ilhan Omar exactly. got that's elected. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm-hmm. how she I didn't up realize in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her family, and I, I'm guessing she was born there in Somalia, but maybe not. Maybe she was born in the U.S. But it seems like given her age, I would assume she was born in Somalia and she was a kid when she mm-hmm. uh, came over as a refugee to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's a huge influx so that's how she got elected because what she stands for i don't necessarily agree with a lot of things that she has said or done so well and this is the thing that most whites certainly most americans in general completely don't understand about the majority of the rest of the world Mm -hmm. is that in other cultures what's important isn't your politics it's your ethnicity Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I so you might have people that are more conservative Somalis. You might have people that are more liberal Somalis. And both groups will vote for a Somali over anybody else who's not a mm-hmm. Somali, regardless of their politics. Because of their ethnicity. Because yeah. of their oh, ethnicity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, mm-hmm. it's not a color skin. Somalis don't like uh, American blacks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unless they can take advantage of them. Mm, which case they're fine. Somalis yeah. are very, and I, of course I'm generalizing like crazy here, but that's based on personal <laughs> experience. Like I lived there, yes. I dealt with it. I had a Somali uh, limo driver for about five years. 
Mm-hmm. So this guy, you know, he's a great guy. Loved loved having them as a driver. He was a, a very studious guy. He had a fleet of limos, and he worked mm-hmm. himself. Like he, you know, he wasn't like the guy sitting in the back room trying to give his illegal buddies jobs driving. He was, in every sense of the word, very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. He was a kid of maybe five, six years old when his parents came to uh, the U.S. as refugees. And so he was essentially living the American dream. And I remember they kind of took over the the taxi business in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Who, prior to the Somalis, the Ethiopians had the taxi business. Interesting. The Ethiopians uh, didn't seem to care one way or the other. Somalis didn't like alcohol and um, dogs. And there was a big brouhaha about how Somali taxi drivers would refuse to pick people up at the airport if they were carrying any bottles of alcohol with them. How how would they know if it's... Because they're loading the luggage. And if they saw it, they would say, you're not taking this cab. Oh, wow. And they pretty much owned the whole cab racket. So there was wow. nobody to drive people. But so do- this is, dogs? This is, they didn't like this, dogs? This is pre- uh, most, most uh, Muslim cultures don't like dogs. Their Dogs oh. are seen as a very dirty animal. Like you couldn't bring even a little tiny poodle or something with you in the cab if it was driven by a Somali. I remember hmm. the, uh, I think it was the taxi commissioner, somebody had to essentially tell people they're going to lose their license to drive cabs if they don't start picking everybody up. They would refuse to pick up drunk people coming home from bars because they don't want mm-hmm. alcohol in, in their cars. That's mm-hmm. like, well, isn't that half the point of a taxi? <laughs> exactly. It's discrimination. Too. So, yeah, it's totally, but <laughs> it's absolutely discrimination. Yeah. yeah. So Interesting. Ha- now, you moved away from uh, Indiana and really in Chicago pretty young in life, right? Yeah, let's see. When I moved, oh my gosh. So I've been married uh, three times. So my first marriage was to my high school sweetheart. And I consider that market research. So I don't really consider that a marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was, I I was married less than four years. And so I, um, it was crazy. We had the whole house in suburbia and the dog and the two cars. And, and for me, it just, there was something missing and I realized that I didn't really have an opportunity to kind of live life. And so I ended up um, moving to Chicago when I was 25. I I was working downtown. I was working in the Wrigley building, which is an absolutely beautiful building right on um, Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. And I just decided like, I'm done. I'm going to just look for a place. And I would hop on the L and I found, I found my own my own apartment and I moved, I moved out of the house and I moved downtown and didn't really know anybody. And everybody I worked with lived in the suburbs. So I basically moved to the city by myself and it was the best thing that I ever did. I had a fabulous time. And so I lived in all different areas. I lived in Lincoln Park. I lived in Wrigleyville. The last place that I lived before I got married the second time was I lived in a, um, an old converted church and I lived in what was the rectory in the back of the church. And wow. um, we called it the linoleum palace because it was all linoleum through the whole thing, but it was this fantastic little place and it was unbelievably affordable. And so I lived there while I was single and then I got married and lived closer to downtown. And we lived there, oh gosh, for another six years and then eventually moved to the suburbs, but only lived in the suburbs for a couple years before we moved to Florida. But I had a lot of fun in Chicago, and I'm I'm proud to say 
that in 1991, I was one of Chicago's top 60 bachelorettes in the city. Wow. (laughs) How about that? That's a pretty good honor, yeah. Exactly. That was pretty fun. That was really fun. But I was in marketing and advertising, and so I worked with a lot of different um, newspapers and magazines, and it was one of the magazines that I worked with. Um, and the the guy, the rep that I worked with, he was the one that recommended me to be included in this list. So, you know, that going back to 1991, I'm really dating myself, um, it was interesting because there were no cell phones. At least I didn't have one at that point. And there was, I don't even think there was email, but I started receiving letters in the mail from people who saw my profile in wow. this, this publication. <laughs> so talk about, talk about old school. That, so is, that was, a lot, yeah. yeah, that was a lot of fun. So whenever yeah, I went to Chicago, I, I always like to stay at the same place. And I think it's gone through a number of names over the years. Uh, but it used to be called the Executive Plaza on Wacker oh, Drive, right across mm-hmm. from the Tribune. Yes, yeah. And I mm-hmm. so I would start off every morning from there and walk out and explore the city, get some coffee, uh, get some breakfast. And Chicago, it was a short enough drive from Minneapolis that you could do it without thinking too hard about it. So mm-hmm. it was, I guess, it was about a four and a half hour drive. That's not bad. Yeah. And then one time I did it in three hours and I got stopped in Wisconsin by a cop Mm -hmm. um, for, got a ticket for driving over a hundred miles an hour. Oh my gosh. And and lost my Wisconsin driving privileges for five years. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the end of my driving trips to Chicago. After that, I just flew. But prior to that, I used to drive there pretty... Because, look, if you're driving in the middle of the night, there's hardly any cars. Wisconsin is just a big blur. I like how you rationalize it. It's totally normal. (laughs) Car car is happy doing over 100. What the hell? Why not? Oh, it reminds me of my daughter, my second daughter. When we first moved to Texas, we lived in Waco for... I lived in Waco for less than three months. But while I was there, she... She got caught speeding. She was 16 and she was doing 91 on um, 35. Uh, yeah. And so she was, they had slapped her with a reckless driving mm-hmm. ticket. And we about hung her out to dry when that happened. But <laughs> so it reminds me of that. Yeah. But, well, that yeah, was. No, was, I mean. I think that's exactly what my ticket was. It was reckless driving. And then it was literally in the middle of Wisconsin, some little podunk city. Uh, halfway between Chicago and Minneapolis. So obviously I didn't drive out for the court visit, which was mandatory court. And by not showing up to court, I effectively admitted to my guilt or whatever. And that's what ended up getting rid of my Wisconsin driving privileges. You know, you realize you probably made that cop's day by by, uh, snagging you. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure I did. But I still made it to Chicago in three hours. Well, there you go. So about five miles after that ticket, I was back doing about 110. Oh, gosh. Uh, (laughs) Remind me not to drive with you. (laughs) Yeah, well, I drive like an old man these days. You know, I I used to... you used to have a lot more fun driving. Well, I've gotten a few tickets over the years. (laughs) I've never gotten a ticket. I have never gotten a ticket. Nope. Nope. Oh, I was pulled over once. I had an RX-7 in... uh, the 80s and mm-hmm. i was driving home from the train station and it was a it was a it was either a four or five speed i don't know it was manual and i had a skirt on and so you know when you're driving a manual 
uh, transmission, the skirt kind of rides up a little bit. And so as the cop was coming to the car, I was kind of shimmering my skirt down. And I think that's why I didn't get the ticket. But hey, whatever works. <laughs> yeah, I think that works a lot. <laughs> but I, I've never gotten a ticket. I should knock on something so yeah, that, definitely that doesn't knock happen. On. When I moved to Austin from Dallas, I got a ticket right on Riverside for going 45 and a 35. Mm. And I was like, oh, come on. I was like maybe barely faster in the car next to me, but the cop pulled me over. And then I got another ticket literally a month later going north from here on, I forget what road it is. So mm -hmm. got another ticket there. And oh my God. after two tickets, like I'm like, okay, screw this. I'm, I'm back to buying a radar detector. Because I used to have one when I was a teenager and then I kind of, you know, got rid of it or whatever. And then, so after two tickets that were, you know, a couple hundred bucks a piece, I was like, yep, Ugh. time for a radar detector. And I got no one kidding. and I knock on wood. Haven't had a ticket since I got the detector. That's good. Now you can't even find a cop to help you. Oh, yeah, Austin. that's a good point. Oh, I you guess can't you don't even... really need them. No, anymore. nobody's available. So yeah. I'm like, you could probably speed all you want and you'd be okay. <laughs> can't find anybody. So that's but, a good but point. Go... I've seen a lot more yeah. fire trucks than cop cars lately. Oh, yeah. You can't find them. Not at all. You know, I've seen so many because I, I'm really big on Twitter because I'm really pushing this Prop B to get the camping ordinance um, rescinded. Uh, but I, I, so I'm on Twitter and I'm connected to the Austin community. And I've seen several times how there's been something where an officer is needed and it says officer unavailable. I've wow. Several times I've seen that, which is kind of scary. So I, that's hence the reason why so many people are going out and buying their own guns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely sure. happening. And literally the most basic reason for having a government in the first place mm -hmm. is defense. Defense mm -hmm. from the outside and defense from the inside. Uh, yep. That's where it starts and everything mm -hmm. else is just a slap on on top of that. I think both you and I are big fans of Tim Pool, And on yesterday's show, he was talking about, and I think pissing some people off by saying that if this verdict comes down as guilty in Minneapolis, then Minneapolis cops need to quit because it is going to be unsafe to be a cop in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And what about all the, what about all the civilians? What happens then? Well, the civilians got to elect the politicians that have no balls. Mm -hmm. And so they get what they elected, which is mm -hmm. no police protection. That, Ah, that is. So that, that's Tim's point. And I got to yeah. say, I mean, he was saying it very, uh, very emotionally and very strongly. I'm not quite there to the level that he is, but I have to kind of agree with him. At which point do you stop saving people from themselves? And, and so what, and them yeah. hating you for it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I guess if you're fully armed. And you can protect your family. Um, but there are many people that aren't and many people who will be victims. And so is that is that his point is that he need they need to see all of the victimization in order to kind of knock the senses back into them? I don't you know, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's a scary prospect. But I also understand what he's saying as well. Yeah, to me, it, it feels sort of like you're going to go camping with a guide that's going to keep you away from the, the wolves and the bears. And the first thing that happens is you decide to take a vote as a group of campers to say, 
yeah, uh, we're not going to pay this guy anymore because we don't see him providing anything beneficial to us. Mm-hmm. Would it make sense for the guy to keep just still keeping you safe? Or should the guy mm-hmm. just say, okay, shrug his shoulders and say, all right, it's up to you guys. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. So is he getting a lot of pushback on that? Well, he was on the show. I think I'm agreeing with him from a few folks, but mm-hmm. he was definitely getting some strong pushback. Ian was being Ian and completely saying, no, you can't do that. and You got to keep people safe. But I don't know, man. I can't think of any example in any position where people don't want you there, but you still stay there to help the people that hate you. Yeah, but do you think that that is a universal thought? You think everybody feels that way? I mean, what about the family that has little kids? What about the family that brought home a newborn baby? Do yeah. you think they feel that way? I mean, it's easy for, I mean, my daughters are grown well, now. It's just me and Adam. But to think of the vulnerability of those families. But that's kind of and, the point is at which point are you okay with letting people feel the consequences of their actions? You could say, well, all it takes is 51% to vote somebody in. That's true, but I also know in Minneapolis those elections are not close. There are a lot of areas where people are voting for politicians that do more lip service than actually have their interests at heart. Mm-hmm. I got to agree with Tim. The only way to teach those people that they're being idiots is to let them suffer the consequences of being idiots. Of the, the and people if, that and they if, put if into somebody, office. Yeah, if somebody else's... Mm-hmm unfortunately living in the same area i mean i left yeah you know i guess yeah and i and i I see what you're saying but at the same time even if it's 51 percent that elected those people in there what about the other 49 that didn't if it was but i'm saying it's not even close Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. 80 to 20 oh it's -hmm. like the majority certainly some people vote against the Mm -hmm. current liberal politicians in minneapolis but it's going it's been going further and further to the left Mm-hmm. Partly because it had this policy of wanting to uh, help anybody that needs help in terms of refugees. And when the refugees get there, they they vote for their own. They don't really mm-hmm. vote for a particular type of politics. Right. right. So I, I kind of feel like with a lot of these cities, with Portland, with Seattle, with Minneapolis. Do you think uh, that's happening? Do you think a lot of the, the police are walking away in those cities some have been there's definitely been much higher rates of retirement early retirement than there Mm -hmm. has been but there hasn't been a mass exodus Mm -hmm. at this point Mm -hmm. and i can ask you this yeah Uh, what do you think about uh uh product companies who are virtue signaling to defund the police what do you think about that oh that's great topic yeah so i'm in a process of updating the list of companies to not do business with that Adam's maintaining because I was asking uh-huh. him questions about the list and he says, great, now you can update it. I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess I got volunteered. Um, yeah. The, yeah. I so, saw on Instagram yesterday, you know, seventh generation, you know, that cleaning product. Uh-huh. It's a, it's a, I guess a natural uh, cleaning product. And they had posted on Instagram that they'd support to defund the police and the comments that they got, which were mostly negative that mm-hmm. people were just, I'm not buying your product anymore. And Good. the hashtag go woke, go broke. Yep. I mean, they got major 
backlash. And I really hope, I think there's collective power and people saying, fuck that, I'm not doing that. I'm not buying your product and really affect them where it hurts them the most. And I really hope that people collectively do that. Absolutely. I, I think mm. that has to happen. I think for far too long, the left has been using this strategy and nobody on the center or right has bothered. I think the last time I remember somebody on the right trying to go after a business uh, was Al Gore's wife during the 80s oh. <laughs> yeah. for, for the music business. But exactly. Yeah, and that, it was like that was literally the last time that there was uh, somebody pushing from the right to actually uh, focus on targeting businesses. The left's been doing this for the last 25 years where they don't like something, they go after a company, they threaten them, and then the company puts out a press release acknowledging or uh, even worse, supporting some weird, wacky, far-left position. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think company... Well, there's two things. The first answer is companies need to get out of politics, first of all. Mm -hmm. exactly. they, they have no business being in politics <clears throat> because, in my opinion, as soon as a company starts pulling out, putting out political statements they need to have their entire income treated as a PAC, as a political <laughs> action committee, because mm -hmm. they're acting on behalf of a certain political party at that point. And mm -hmm. we need to start reviewing them in that manner. Now, obviously, that hasn't been happening. There's very little chance of that happening. But that's my personal take, is that as soon as a company expresses a political opinion, I don't care which side, you're acting like a PAC, not like a, uh, a business. So any kind of... Mm -hmm exemptions that you have that a pack wouldn't have need to go away. Mm. But also I think it's very dangerous because you're guaranteed to be polarizing half your customers. Well, it, that's like what Michael Jordan said, you know, he mm -hmm. said, what do you say? Um, Republicans buy my shoes too. So, and I think that yeah. a lot of these organizations that make these virtual signaling statements, a lot more Republicans stop. buy his shoes than Democrats. Yeah. His shoes yeah. are very expensive. But isn't it with corporate America, isn't, isn't it a very incestuous, um, environment where they donate to the politician and then they have their lobbyists and then they you know hold the politician to account to to pass whatever legislation that that is deemed in their favor isn't it very cyclical and incestuous it that is. way i think here's the mm -hmm. difference historically companies have donated fairly equally to republican and democrat politicians but to local politicians so essentially yeah. companies have try to get something from the government by supporting whoever is elected. So mm -hmm. whether it's a Republican who's elected or a Democrat elected, <clears throat> they, they donate money to their local winner in order to gain some particular favors from that person, whether it means mm -hmm. tax breaks or whether it means a contract for rocket parts for NASA or whatever it is. That was the model for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Because the influence you're trying to buy isn't the influence to change people's minds. It's the influence to get some government contract. Exactly. And that's yep. very different. Now, I'm yep. not saying that that's great either. Like, ideally, that wouldn't happen at all. But that's very different from Delta Airlines going out on record and talking about elected politicians who passed a law that you have to have a majority to pass are doing evil and horrible things. So they effectively have broken this covenant between politicians and companies, where the mm -hmm. companies give money to local politicians. The local politicians try to give them something. What's mm -hmm. the net result? 
literally mm-hmm. one day later, Atlanta politicians now are looking at putting a bill out that strips Delta of tax breaks. Oh, oh boy, you guys just <laughs> so had to sad. stick your foot in your mouth, didn't you? So sad. Well, yeah. it's just like with the Major League Baseball, too, moving yes. the, All-Star, the yes. All-Star game. I mean, it's like cutting your nose off to spite your face. And you saw I what just... happened with that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they hurt the people the, the most who they want to protect, which is just it's, Yeah, it's so Major asinine. League Baseball decided asinine. to move that game from a city that is 80% black right. to mm-hmm. a city that is 20% black. Yep. Mm-hmm. By saying that we support black people, mm-hmm. well, That's you what just I'm fired a whole bunch of black people by doing that. But and uh, you just took you took income away from people that need it that you that you absolutely. are supposedly supposed to support. It absolutely. makes absolutely and no you, sense. But you saw what the end result's going to be, right? Uh, no, what? Uh, so there's a bill now to strip Major League Baseball of antitrust protection. Oh, which they've okay. had for a hundred years. Oh. So what does that mean? This is typical bullshit the government had no business doing in the first place, which is creating special exceptions for their friends. Mm -hmm. So if MLB gets uh, stripped of the antitrust protection, then not only does it mean that there could be other baseball leagues that pop up to challenge them, but it looks like there's 28 co-sponsors to that bill. (laughs) What? um, So it's going to, it's going to be presented to the house. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, I think it's starting in the Senate, actually. Oh, starting in the Senate. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But it's clearly a result of Major League Baseball getting all political and woke. Yeah. Uh, Along with a lot of other. Yeah. uh, Yeah. A lot of other entities. Um, I was saying to Adam this morning with this whole thing that's happening in Austin with the camping ordinance and Prop B and how it, it, it's the, um, the, ability or the mechanism to change it it's kind of a grassroots kind of groundswell and i really believe that and i hope that it passes it'll show it'll show many in communities and you know outside of austin how much power we really do have if we collectively come together as a group and say no we're not going to do this this is not right and i really hope that that message i hope that it passes i think that it will but i hope that message gets when, out that people I, realize that the power that does lie for, within them yeah when is that up on the on the election? it's now you can go vote now oh so. it's on right now oh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize yeah that. okay mm-hmm. vote yes on prop b well i wonder how many people realize that that vote is happening right now oh it's yeah i'm all over twitter on it big time okay. all over yeah <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I hey, mean, it's, it's just uh, devastating. But anyway, my point is, is that with regard to like seventh generation or major league baseball or Delta or even down to this cap- camping ordinance, the power ultimately rests with us, the people who have to endure this each and every day. And I would hope that people understand that and realize that they do. They do have a choice to change things. Oh, yeah. Propositions are one way to do it. The other one, of course, is to Make sure that you actually vote for somebody that you want in office, that you don't just not go vote at all because you're not sure who to vote for. It's pretty easy to get up to speed. And I guarantee you that one of the two people on the ballot is closer to your political views Mm -hmm. than everybody else. And then the other thing I just want to remind people is it's not just voting. If you Mm -hmm. have the interest and the time to do it, get involved in uh, the political system itself. Mm -hmm. Volunteer or even get a job because there are paying jobs that they put out uh, job ads for every election cycle. Mm-hmm. To be an election judge, you can be an observer. 
Observers mm-hmm. are voluntary. Judges are usually paid positions. Mm-hmm. Get involved in in whatever political party you're interested in. If you get involved in the Libertarian Party, it's just a waste of time, but you're welcome to do it. Um, <laughs> I can say that because I was pretty involved in the Libertarian Party in my 20s, uh-huh. and it was a nice waste of time. But mm-hmm. And honestly, the Republican Party is kind of a waste of time too. But nonetheless... By being able to be involved, you get to make a lot of the choices that end up happening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it, you do have one day each election cycle, or nowadays, I guess, it's even more than one day in most places, to make a difference. But it's not the only way to make a difference. It's not the mm-hmm. only day to make a difference. So yeah. tell people yeah. more about this prop. So what is this camping thing you keep talking about? Well, Proposition B is a... Um, is being up for vote to rescind the camping ordinance. So about two years ago, the Austin City Council approved for the unhoused to be able to camp basically anywhere they want. Um, That's how it started out and they started, except in front of City Hall, how convenient. And then these tents just started propping up everywhere, like on the corners in downtown Austin and they, they changed the language and I wasn't as, um, in tune to it back then, but they changed the language where they they put some stipulations where they couldn't couldn't uh, where they could and could not camp, and um, basically though they are able to camp underneath the uh, highways. Um, they are camping all along Cesar Chavez, which is downtown in Austin, and along the trail, um, which is a trail that I used to walk all the time when we had out um, out of town visitors. We would go because it's beautiful, and now they're camping in the trees and in the woods. And to me, it's just unsafe because they're very unpredictable um, because it's not just a housing issue. It's a mental health issue too. They're on our side of the neighborhood, as you've seen all along the swale in, um, not the swale, the median on Riverside Drive. It is, it looks like a third world country. It is the garbage and the it's just, it's a, it's such an eyesore. Um, my sister was just here this weekend and she couldn't believe it. She hadn't been here for I don't know, 18 months. She could not believe the destruction that's happened as a result of allowing them to camp everywhere. So anyway, this Prop B is up for a vote to rescind the camping ordinance that would make it it would make the, it unlawful for them to just camp anywhere. So, and I just think a broader strategy needs to be done. It's not just, because to me, this just affects the constituents, the taxpaying um, constituents that if you leave your garbage can out, you're going to get fined, but yet you have people who can just live and throw garbage everywhere. Um, it's just, it's an unfair, unequitable um, uh, decision that they made. So, Hopefully it'll, hopefully, my fingers crossed it looks like it's going to go that way because I read today that the mayor was a little concerned that, uh, that it was going to pass because, you know, that's a big mark on him. And, and when is our first opportunity to get rid of the mayor? Oh, right. Uh, is that this year? It's every, it's, it's no, it's, it's, It's he's got two more years. Yeah. Cause he's off, he's off, he's off from the presidential election. So he's just been awful. He is awful. How long has he been mayor? I thought he was only, uh, he's been mayor for like four years now. And it's his second term. So oh, I think is. he's two he's, years I can't into believe his people second re-elected term. re-elected that doofus. Yeah, I know. And I think wow. Adam was, he, Adam voted for the flamethrower. What was his name? I forget what his name was. <laughs> he wanted to give all the police flamethrowers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, so hopefully, yes, hopefully it'll pass. It's just because it's just, number one, it doesn't serve the, the people who are homeless because it's not giving them the support services they need because it's not just housing. It's, it's a coordinated effort. And so it's not serving them and it's not serving the constituents who have to see this and are dealing with the increased crime. And when you're stopped, when you're at a stoplight and people approach your car and you tell them to leave and they don't leave and they're harassing you. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's not good for anybody. They need a definite, they definitely need a new strategy. Oh, absolutely. And I think yeah. it's made the city way, way less safe. And it's it's turning what was uh, a large town into a crappy city. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was one of the, the, the things that I liked about Austin when I moved here now 10 years ago or so, is that it was still a small town. It was not a city. It mm-hmm. had a downtown area for sure. And it had a lot of ambitions like a city, but it acted a lot more like a town. Mm -hmm. Aside from the thing that I'm sure people are getting tired of me talking about how parking used to be $2 on the street and you can find parking, to now it's $10 minimum anywhere for 15 minutes. I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah, and and good luck finding it. Most places, the only option is valet, and valet is going to run you 20 bucks. So. We just we were just downtown on Sunday. We went to dinner and I had to park in a parking lot. And my options were one hour for seven dollars or three hours for twenty. Yep. That was my only two options. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. It's and now crazy. it's still not quite Chicago level prices. I remember in the nineties going to Chicago and I was a little surprised by twenty dollar parking for three hours. Mm-hmm. But that's right right uh in the middle of the city, a couple of blocks from the water. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eh, you expect it there. Yeah. But in Austin, no, I, I think know. Austin's gotten ridiculous. And it's, it's gotten more expensive and dirtier and more mm-hmm. unsafe all at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. And didn't they defund the, the police budget? Didn't they yeah, reduce they, it by they $100 redu- million? Dollars? They did. They reduced the police budget and then decided to spend that money on something related to giving homeless people more services. Yeah. So let's hope it passes. It, yeah. I mean, that I also think now I have no proof of this, but I suspect because where the hell do these people come from that a lot of the homeless population currently in Austin moved here as a result of the policy. Mm, yeah. I don't know about because that. Because other I, Texas cities don't have policies like this. Because mm-hmm. Dallas doesn't have this kind of no. problem, do they? No. Mm-hmm. Certainly mm-hmm. didn't when I was there last time I visited. It was very clean. It was there's no tents anywhere. Fort Worth was always known for having cops that just beat up homeless people. Oh, like that—that that was a known thing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they will pick up anybody that looks like they're just wandering around, and then mm-hmm. drive them out to outside the city limits. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the day, they'd rough you up as well, so you don't come back. Yeah, uh, there's. Right now, somebody asked me the other day, the homeless people coming here from California? And I kind of laughed at it, and I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe they are. I mean, everybody else is coming here from California. Maybe they're bringing some homeless (laughs) people along with them in their luggage. Exactly. Exactly. Sure feels that way. So I would just like to see a better strategy of helping them. Obviously, a lot of them have um, mental issues and substance abuse problems, and I don't see anything being addressed 
with with that in, in that regard. I, I see that they're trying to buy all these old hotels and trying to convert them, which I think is a, just a disaster in the making. And they're thinking, and I'm referring to the city council, mm -hmm. that housing is going to solve the issue. And I just... After learning more about mobile loaves and fishes, which Adam interviewed, Alan Graham, who is the CEO, <clears throat> they're the ones that have the community first village. It takes the whole community. It takes them uh, the ability to belong to a community and to rehabilitate them, not just give them housing. And so I just, the city has just wasted so much money, so much money. And it's it's been devastating for the community. I just think we need to maybe, instead of throwing money away, the way we have been just build a new mental asylum yeah you know and that's the big thing there are no mental health services there are none i know yeah yeah, yeah. because he, there's certainly been plenty of things that have been made fun of mental asylums and and movies like one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah, uh, yeah. talk about the that and then what was that angelina jolie movie girl interrupted Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. also showed the negative side of somebody in the mental asylum. But for the most part, if you compare life on the street with drugs to life in a mental asylum, I think most of these people actually would be better off living in a mental asylum. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, it would be a more structured environment. To me, too, it's, well, it's, it's it it's would be so safer. Sad. I mean, like, these guys are fighting yeah. each other, they're getting bad drugs and overdosing. Mm -hmm. You're basically taking people that are, for the most part, incapable of providing for themselves. And you're saying, here, just go camp and live outdoors on your mm -hmm. own with no support. Right, right. That is absolutely all. the wrong approach. That, that might seem to be a, maybe a libertarian type approach to where you're, you're just letting people fend for themselves. But... Mm -hmm. But they're not living just by themselves. They're fending for themselves in the middle of a society that is trying to get work done and go grocery shopping and raise children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would be interested in knowing, like, what is the common denominator that, um, that resulted in the homelessness? Like, what is it? Is it lack of family, a two-parent family? Like, what is it? Is, are there any studies out there that address that? Like, what is the common the, link? The only one that I saw was about a two-hour uh, documentary on Seattle. And their answer to that question was drugs. Mm. Uh, a good chunk, not a majority you, necessarily, <laughs> but a good chunk of the people that they had interviewed had uh, very normal lives, they went to college, they got married, wow. they were, like, they're not coming from a trailer park. They're very much normal middle America, and then somebody got a drug addiction. Wow. Whether it was yeah. through prescription drugs, whether that was through street drugs, whatever way, that drug addiction refocuses your mind to crave the drug above everything else. And wow. that's when the family falls apart. The job disappears. The supposed mm -hmm. structure goes away. And the only thing you're left with is completely disregarding your body and only thinking about your next hit. Oh, wow. Mm. Thank you, Big Pharma. <laughs> we've had drugs for a lot longer than we've had pharma. Drugs have been with humans. Some say the, the reason that humans split off from the great apes millions of years ago was because we were the apes 
that were eating rotten apples, which had alcohol. Mm. You know, we were the apes that were munching on mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That we're essentially the we're the drug abusing apes <laughs> as wow. a whole species. <laughs> now, I don't That's know if I quite buy into that, but it is interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting idea because we yeah. certainly have managed to to utilize poisons like alcohol, like tobacco, like virtually every drug that's in existence, these are all substances that are poisonous. And by poisonous, I mean that they change the normal function of our body to something that is abnormal. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say, well, alcohol makes me feel good. Yes, getting poisoned sometimes does make you feel good. Maybe a little bit of uh, cyanide will also make you feel good. Yeah, exactly, right? You know, in the right dose, you never yeah, know. How much yeah. cocaine totally makes you feel good, but how much cocaine does it take before your heart stops? Right, right. Not much. Exactly. It's in milligrams, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's mm-hmm. not in ounces. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. we as a species tend to be abusers of ourselves way more so than any other animals on the planet. Mm-hmm. But also historically, the people that went too far in that direction, they they took a Darwin Award. They died off. They didn't reproduce. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they didn't teach their children to keep doing the same thing. This is how we get onto one of my controversially favorite topics, mm-hmm. uh, which is eugenics. Mm-hmm. Which is if you look at what humanity has been doing ever since the rise of modern medicine we have essentially been preventing people from Darwining themselves. We have been uh, creating a gene pool that ignores problems that people have, mental problems in this case is what I'm talking about, and then allows these people to not only just keep on living and having an impact on society, i.e. voting, but also having children that have similar genetic illnesses afterwards. Our solution Mm -hmm. has been to just medicate everybody's kids. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying all these kids should be dead, but Mm -hmm. uh, what I am saying is the fact that 45% of all children in America today are on some sort of a mood-altering drug prescribed, not not like buying drugs off the street. These are their parents and doctors putting half of America's children on drugs to help them cope with life. Mm-hmm. And that is mm-hmm. the end result of modern medicine not allowing the natural evolutionary process of people that are born with particular mental differences that make it difficult for them to live in a society. Mm-hmm. So by providing houses, by providing food to people, you're sustaining their physical bodies but doing that at the cost to all of society. I think eugenics means that you want to maintain and enhance the ability of humanity to last a long time. You know what I what I mean when I say Darwin themselves, right? I, I believe so, yeah. There's a yeah. Darwin Award that is given out every year for people that die in the most crazy and amusing ways that they themselves caused. So basically, people doing stupid shit. Mm -hmm. And and so that's called the Darwin Award. And that's what I'm referring to, is that we've been creating a society 
that effectively takes people that want to jump off a building and instead of letting them jump off a building and, and then kill themselves and not hinder society with other stupid things they might do in the future. Instead of doing that, we're just sticking a whole bunch of mattresses underneath them whenever they try to jump off a building mm-hmm. and we catch them. And then mm-hmm. the next time, maybe they'll take their girlfriend up there to jump with them. Next time, they might decide to do something even crazier and wilder. And we keep trying to keep people alive in spite of themselves. And that's, I Mm -hmm. think, a major problem in the long run because who we are today as humans, genetically, is the result of winners of those genetic races over the last several million years. And in the last 100 years, we've now kept all the losers as well. Mm-hmm. You think that, you know, the those mattresses, that represents big pharma, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Big yeah, pharma, keeps, medicines. Yeah. Uh, well, we're not a, we're not a, a health care. We don't have a health care nation. We have a sick care nation. So just keep, keep everybody sick. Keep them alive, but keep them sick. The so goal is simply more. to prevent death. That's the only yeah. goal for pharma. It is not to make any kind of intelligent decisions about life and death. It is simply mm-hmm. to prevent death. Mm-hmm. And how that person mm-hmm. feels and how they make other people feel completely irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you, yep. When I say eugenics, that's what I'm referring to. And if you wanna watch a movie, maybe you've already seen it, that takes this exact idea that I'm describing to its natural end result conclusion. And that film is Idiocracy. I've seen it, yes, yeah. I've seen it. I think they go forward maybe 300 years in the future, something like that. Mm-hmm. When they're using Gatorade to water the plants. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Because it's got yeah. electrolytes, what your body needs. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, Brano, yep. I think it was called. Mm-hmm. But yeah, It's an old movie. Oh, it is an old movie. Mm-hmm. But it was done here in Austin. The guy that, that made it from here. It's the same guy that does King of the Hill. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. I have and to watch it again. It's been years yeah, since I've it, seen it. That's a good rewatch. And I think mm-hmm. it's actually on HBO right now, I believe. Okay. It's like one okay. of their like old movies that they're recycling. Yeah. But either way, yeah. easy to find. I know a lot of people like it. Uh, there's two cult movies I think that we find a lot of people on No Agenda really mm-hmm. like. And Office Space and yes. Idiocracy uh-huh. are both on that yeah. list. Yeah, I'll have to look at that for yeah. sure. For sure. But that's the natural conclusion. If you keep allowing people to act stupid and not hurt themselves by acting stupid, not to die by acting stupid, you're just diluting the rest of the population. Eventually, what you end up with, like idiocracy shows, is the entire population being stupid. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of where we're going. Yeah. But it's... (laughs) But we're talking about stuff that I'm talking about. So uh, we talked about <laughs> Prop 2, right? That's what B. it is? B. Prop B. Prop B. B. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I remember it wasn't the first one. So yeah. Prop B. So I need to go and vote for, for yes. uh, against we're it gonna or do for, that. It, for it. Yeah. Adam and I are going today. So okay. you should go. Same place you voted normally. You know, the library that's yeah. close. Did we go? We went to that library that's close to us. Yeah. Same place. You can go there. Yep. There's other Yeah. There's other props on there that I have to read through, but I... I'm only voting yes for two of them, Prop A and Prop B. Prop A has something to do with the fighter firefighters and if they get into negotiations to have some type of arbit- 
uh, mediator or something. I don't know, something similar to hmm. that. But everything else I'm voting against. <laughs> Let's get rid of the <laughs> firefighters too while we're at it. <laughs> no police, no firefighters. Yeah, Screw no, we all. need those. We need those. So, yeah, so we're doing that today. But I wanted I wanted to share with you a new uh, venture that I've started with oh. um, a new friend. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, I work part-time in retail, and <clears throat> which I absolutely love because it's, it's just a fun thing to do to get out of the house and talk to people. And um, I met a woman there who recently moved from Brooklyn. She and her husband got out of New York because they saw what was happening with New York. And um, she had come into the store and we, we struck up a conversation and she told me about a new um, idea that she was launching and asked me if I would want to um, learn more about it. And mm. so of course I jumped on it and this kind of helps me continue to exercise my communication skills. So I like it. And so we're launching this digital platform, hopefully this summer, it's called the counter edit. And um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be featuring women um, who are kind of who their norms and their behaviors kind of differ from the mainstream and the cultural norms. So because if you look at, a, and I'm sure you're not privy to this, but a lot of publications for women tend to be extremely progressive. Not that this is going to be extremely conservative, it's going to be probably more center, but we're trying to feature voices that are not necessarily always so extremely progressive. So um, I'm starting this venture with her and hopefully it's gonna launch this summer. So we're gonna feature um, women from all different walks of life and we just wanna hear about, we wanna hear about their life. And, but mainly we wanna go back to what the whole branding is of the counter edit and talk about, like I said, what those behaviors are that differ from the mainstream cultural norm. So it's, yeah, it's, a, it's like I said, it's an exciting thing for me to, uh, to exercise my communication muscle and do what I do um, what I think I do best, which is writing and interviewing people and, and presenting stories out there. That's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're going to jump into this, huh? Yeah, we've already started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we already okay. have, we have, we've gotten, we're, we're working on building the, the, um, the website and we've got the list of individuals that we're going to target. We've already got our communications together. Um, we've got our questions together. And so uh, we have our, I, I suggested that the person, my friend, be the first interview because she's the visionary behind this project. And I think that people need to, to understand why, you know, it was in her heart to launch it. And um, yeah, and then we got a whole list and we're going to move forward from there. And we're going to see what's going to happen. So I'm pretty excited about it. Wow, that's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. But as you're talking, I'm just mentally envisioning all the things that are required to kick off a publication, even if it's not a printed publication. Yeah. And yeah. that's uh, it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, I've got time. <laughs> I've got time. I'm ready to do it. Like Might I said, it'll be a lot of fun. Job. Yeah, maybe. You know, the... the, the and then I had said to her, we had spoken yesterday, and um, it needs to get its legs underneath it, and then we need to talk about how we're going to monetize it. So, so we can do it inexpensively, just you know, through the website and through social media platforms. But yeah, that's going to be the next piece once it kind of gets its legs underneath it. I think there's a lot of women, especially younger women, that are post college age that are extremely lost right now mm -hmm. because. When they look around, what they keep seeing is essentially Marxist ideology that negates sex mm -hmm. as any kind of a relevant difference between men and women. Mm 
and encourages them to be activists and mm-hmm. to be very vocal about what they're doing. The only counterpoint to that are the ultra-conservative, far-right religious messaging. Mm-hmm. Like there's literally a hole in the middle right now exactly. that says to women, you don't have to be religious to be a mother and a wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a prerequisite to doing those things. Mm-hmm. Neither do you, do you have to give up being a mother and a wife. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a very timely topic. So hopefully you guys yeah. can fill that that void that exists. But I've noticed this myself just from, you know, college students, they're always going to be crazy. That's where you that that that's the post teenage years where you stretch the limits of where your interests and capabilities lie. So you don't expect <laughs> too much self-control from them. But generally, as people start moving through their 20s towards their 30s, early 30s, that's when you really pick a direction for the rest of your life that you're going to continue expending energy into. And one of those directions, historically for women, has absolutely been family. Mm-hmm. And yes, I may not be reading women's magazines. Uh, I do read Condé Nast publications because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them have cooking and food stuff in there. But uh, <laughs> I think just a big hole, in my opinion, that didn't used to exist. Like that, there used to be plenty of magazines, TV shows, movies, etc., that dealt with examples of a woman in her 20s wanting to have a family, wanting to have a husband, wanting to have some solidity in her life mm-hmm. without having to be the 60-hour-a-week workaholic lawyer or mm-hmm. you know CEO or whatever. And I think right now, good luck finding that. That's the, All the messaging is on either one side extreme or the other extreme. Yeah, hence the counter-edit. That's why we're... we're creating this because we we realized there was a or she realized it's really her vision she brought me into it um that there was a huge void just wasn't there and so yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty so what's her background she is oh she works for a she's a communications uh, professional and she works for a consulting firm but she has been on the same account she works for um sloan kettering she does a lot of work for them right now Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in all marketing communications. So, and she's very well connected because she knows a lot of people who in New York and, and throughout the United States and her husband is, he's a, um, he is a CEO with a major company. I don't want to mention um, whom, mm-hmm. uh, and he's connected as well. So we have a nice variety of women's voices that we're going to feature that doesn't necessarily tilt in one direction or the other. Extremely, I should say so. So yeah, right. so that's my that's my newest venture that, well, that hopefully will be exciting. launching. And I've done a lot of this in you know in my in my job at the house and other nonprofits. And to me, it's it's easy. And what I'm most excited about is seeing it being built from the ground up. Yep. Because I've never I've never done that. I've never um, done that myself. Uh, I've always walked into an organization that was already established. So it's nice to to participate in building the house. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. I, I'm sure you've gotten some osmotic version of that watching Adam with podcasting 2.0. Absolutely. Yeah. From the periphery for sure. Yep. So, 
And I see how jazzed he is about it and how passionate he is. And I feel that way about this project too. So it'll be a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, definitely let me know when when there's something that's publicly visible when you guys are either releasing your first issue or whatever it is. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great for us to tap your brain too, because I know that a lot of this is, you have a lot of expertise in, in the marketing. In women? Like yes, to, I do. In women. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it'd be nice to kind of, yeah, we should get together and uh, just kind of tap your brain once it, it starts to launch. Yeah, I'll meet I'm up sure for you'll a glass have perspectives. of wine. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure you'll have perspectives that we didn't think of. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I will. And I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be involved in whatever, obviously. Yeah. As you've entered Adam's life, you and I have started to know each other as well on a number of occasions. And Yeah. By the way, happy 420. It is uh, oh, thank 420 you. today. <laughs> I'm sure Adam is outside celebrating right now. Uh, I'm not sure he really <laughs> waited until this day to celebrate. I'm, I might celebrate today. I, as you all know, I'm not one of the weed variety of folk. Well, for two reasons. One, it takes an insanely strong amount of THC to have any kind of impact whatsoever on me. Crazy. Uh, and the other one is, I like, the effect that it produces has not really been useful to me. Uh, I told you, when, when my sister was here, I took uh, 20 milligrams of those that edible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I was, I was so so high i i it was unbelievable i've never yeah. been that high before and it was just from just it, from 20 yeah. yes well wow. i don't usually i don't typically partake um but oh my yeah. oh my goodness i don't ever remember being like that and i was like why would anybody want to feel this way i just <laughs> it was just a little too much for me well a little i too much. i didn't i told you guys i don't think i've told the listeners so i did an experiment a while ago in in when i was in seattle uh visiting my parents I figured, okay, I need to figure out exactly, do I have any sensitivity to THC whatsoever or not? Because my previous times in Amsterdam when I've tried it, there have been zero results, like nothing. And so I just bought a whole bunch of edibles and I started ramping up every 12 hours the dose until I got to about 100, was it micrograms, milligrams, probably micrograms, whatever it is. It's the 100. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 100. And at 100, I actually started feeling what I expect other people feel at much lesser doses. Oh, my gosh. I would be comatose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. And uh, so at 100, I was like, okay, well, now I'm kind of starting to feel it. So I think I watched a movie or something and then it was on the internet. I, I definitely decided I wasn't going to drive when I had uh, that amount in me. But it wasn't overwhelming. Like for me to really get... I think to a, a woozy level, I'd probably need at least 150. When I've tried it a second time, uh, just that amount specifically, I think I did 100 again, and it was like from a single 100 microgram or milligram, whatever the hell it is, uh, lozenge thing. And then I played some video games, and I, I was way worse. And I was like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. What's the point of why do people do this? Like your reaction <laughs> time becomes slower. Why would you want this? I, I want... I mean, not that I would do this, of course, but like cocaine at least has a a desirable result. Mm -hmm. It makes you sharper. It makes you twitchy as well, but it it definitely like heightens your awareness. Whereas Mm -hmm. THC just seems to put me into a similar state as 
alcohol, but with a much higher requirement. God, I, yeah. For me, I felt like, gosh, I don't even, it's completely different from alcohol. I felt like all of my, like my physical functions were covered with Vaseline. I Ooh, felt like I was just kind of really? like, yes, yes. Wait, like when just, was this? This was the day that I was over? Uh, oh, was it? Or was it the day before? I don't uh, remember. But I thought that they were only five. I don't know if they're micrograms or milligrams, but mm -hmm. I thought they were only five. And so I took one and I'm like, oh, I've taken 10 before. And I said to my sister, give me another one. Mm -hmm. And she gave me another one. And then I was, yeah, I was wasted. And I, I didn't realize until the next day it was 20. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were each 20 or they were each five? No, they were each 10. I thought they were oh, each five. Oh, they were five. each 10? Oh. Yes. Because I, so I, I took ate 20. one of those and I didn't even notice it. I was just like, yeah, this oh. is candy. I must be a lightweight. <laughs> I'm just a lightweight, I guess. Well, but, oh I, my gosh. I think it all depends. Yeah. I mean, there, there's different things that affect people differently. Like, <laughs> no, I think I've told you this before too. Novocaine doesn't work on me. Oh, it doesn't? No. Which I have to always tell the dentist beforehand. Oh. Because otherwise they're going to assume that they're gonna numb my my jaw with novocaine so you you don't get any novocaine when you have dental work uh well no they they have stronger oh. uh substances than novocaine okay okay it's just uh, novocaine is you know it's it's old and cheap and easy mm -hmm. and it works for most people whereas for me it like it i shouldn't say it doesn't work at all there's a slight numbness but very slight wow yeah Interesting. Huh. Yeah, no, I'll take a, I'll take two dirty martinis over 10, 10 micrograms of, of an edible any day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. No, exactly. I, and I've always been uh, a fan of, of what I've heard other people describing as opium. Mm. So I've always thought, you know, when I'm retired and I'm living in the Orient somewhere or something like that, I wouldn't mind starting up an opium habit. <laughs> How do you ingest opium? I just remember it like in high school. I remember it being like a tar that you smoked. Is that yeah. still yeah, yeah, the yeah. form? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. High school. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's hey, a little young. My sisters were potheads and I my high school boyfriend was a huge I, I did every kind of drug you could possibly imagine in wow. high school. He was huge into uh, Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> my daughter once asked me, she said, Mom, um, what drugs did you do when you were younger? I said, Why don't we start with what drugs I didn't do when wow. I was younger? Because that'll narrow it down. Oh yeah, we tried everything. Everything. So and, so I guess uh, I don't need to do anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you try yeah. PCP? I no, I did not do that. Okay. But I've done because I, I would be and surprised mushroom. if you were yeah. still but coherent if you did PCP. This was in the eighties too. So, but I mean, we used to do. I don't um, think PCP has been around since the eighties. I think that's the only time that's people what I'm were saying. doing I, that shit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it, no, it was definitely speed, and it was quaaludes and mm -hmm. coke. And acid and mushrooms mm -hmm. and uh, definitely weed. Yeah, it was just like we would just try anything. I mean, we just thought we were invincible when we were younger. Well, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. This is now, the, that is the time point at which humans go through their trials for Darwinism. Yeah, the <laughs> there ones you go. that survive, they there get you to go. pass on their genes. 
the perfect way to segue that to to close that circle exactly (laughs) exactly yeah yeah well this has been fun i i enjoy chatting with you always and this time around with a a microphone in front of our faces but i think that uh i'm sure people will be very interested to hear more about you since you haven't been particularly public about stuff no and and now you're admitting to all kinds of drug use look at that oh my gosh i'll tell you yeah well i feel like i have a very enriched history how about that hey whatever (laughs) whatever uh you did it got you to where you are that's the important there you go no regrets absolutely so thank you gene i really enjoyed it as well good well i'm glad you did and i'd love to have you back on at some point whether it's when you launch your your first issue or some other thing comes up you've been a very fun and easy guest and i think oh. we also covered some issues that are important to both of us actually yeah uh, like the sure. uh the homeless population yeah. here in austin yeah definitely so perfect all right well thank you again and as always thanks for joining me please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial legal or medical advice 